Hi, everybody. Happy Easter. Really? Happy Easter. Thank you. All right. Hey, so um, it is Easter, and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And for those of you who have known me for a while, um, and I will tell you, those who have not known me for a while, I tend to think in movies. I will, I'll connect these, so just... Um, sometimes when I preach, you guys have heard me talk about Gladiator, or you've heard me talk about The Incredibles, or some of the Star Wars movies. Not all of them are good enough to bring into a sermon. Um, so I was thinking about the resurrection, and there were a couple of movies from the 90s, going back to the 90s, that, um, that jumped to mind. And there's this recurring theme in movies that I really love, and may, I think that may be why this resonated with me when it came to the resurrection. And it's this, the recurring theme of breaking free from the everyday, right? Leaving business as usual behind. And I thought about this really just classic, people either love this or they hate this movie. Tom Hanks movie, Joe versus the Volcano, right? Tom Hanks plays this hypochondriac whose life is just miserable. And the opening scene is him going to work and everything is gray. Everybody's dressed in gray, it's raining, they get out of their parking lot, they slop through the mud to get there. He walks into his office building, the fluorescent lights, some of them don't work, they're buzzing, everything is like this horrible gray green. His boss is like yapping in the background, you can see the souls of his coworkers leaving their bodies just in the, at their desks. And the end of that kind of scene is him making himself a lumpy cup of coffee. And it just sets the scene for the rest of this movie. This guy's got, it's just not. Um, another great flick, little, little raw, little off color, but Office Space, right? The opening, the opening scene of Office Space. The guy is in traffic, and no matter what lane he gets into, that's the lane that stops, right? He changes lanes and it stops. And to make it worse, there's a gentleman in a walker who's making more progress than the cars on the highway. And then he gets to do his office building in just this sea of cubicles. And the receptionist voice over and over and over again saying her receptionist thing. And the last movie that came to mind was Groundhog Day, right? Bill Murray, classic. A, a self-centered narcissist who's sent on an assignment to cover Groundhog's Day in Punxsutawney. And he hates his job, he hates the assignment, he hates the town, and he, for whatever reason, has to relive Groundhog's Day over and over and over again. And in each of these movies, there's something remarkable that happens that alters the life of the frustrated protagonist forever. And as I think about the resurrection, it is, it's the event that changes everything. It's an invitation to break free from that business as usual, life as normal. And the thing about the gospel accounts of the resurrection is it, they reveal to us how we get sucked into that, uh, that business as usual, just kind of head down, do what we have to do in the midst of pain and suffering. It's like pain and suffering is an anchor to those things. We revert to those things that are just kind of that every that everyday grind. Um, but the, the big idea I want you guys to leave with today is that the resurrection absolutely changes everything. Our, our joys and our struggles our, our successes and our failures, our clarity and our confusion are all open to new interpretations and a much greater and a redeemed understanding in 
light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you've been with us at Crossroads since uh, January, we've been studying the gospel of Mark. And Mark comes right out of the gate, and he tells us his purpose in writing. He wants everybody to know that Jesus is the Messiah and the Son of God. And the first half of his gospel, the first seven chapters, concentrates on Jesus' compassionate use of this amazing, unlimited power that he has. And he uses that power on behalf of people who have none. Not in a business-as-usual kind of way. He uses it on behalf of those who have none. And then the back half of Mark's gospel talks all about how Jesus turns the expectations of everybody, then and now, upside down and inside out. And he sums it all up for us in chapter 12, when a religious leader comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And my paraphrase, Jesus says, love God and love others. And then he goes on to demonstrate what that looks like. Jesus voluntarily, willingly lays down his life on a Roman cross so that humanity might be made right with God, that we might have restored relationship with God. So we look at today's gospel reading that um, David Carlson did that voiceover. Doesn't he have like an amazing voice? I just listen to him read the phone book. Um, so we, we think about this gospel reading. We think about some of the, how it reveals how the hardship anchors us to business as usual. Um, the, the women were going about the normal things, right? The Sabbath, the normal Sabbath rhythms. End of Saturday, the market opens. They went to the market, bought spices. Just that, That's what they would do. The Sabbath ended, they would go to the market. They bought the spices so they could anoint Jesus' body, right? This is not Egyptian mummification. This is one last final act of love, and it's also an act of practicality because the tomb in which Jesus was placed was most likely would be used by others as well. So people would have to, be, would have to go in there and the, the anoint the bodies with spices to keep the smell from becoming overwhelming. It's just what they did. And then um, they're on their way to the tomb, and they're not thinking about resurrection. They're thinking about business as usual. Somebody who they loved and cared about and spent the last three years with pretty much all day every day just died. So they're not thinking about resurrection. They're thinking about this big rock that's in the way of them performing the duties that they need to do. But that's pretty much where business is, as usual ends. Right? Throughout Jesus' life, he didn't do anything as usual. He turned everybody's expectations, like I said, upside down, inside out. Right at the beginning of the passage, right, Jesus gives up his last breath, and he, and he dies. And the curtain is torn in two. That, that curtain was not just like some flimsy little drape. It was a big, thick curtain, and it separated the Holy of Holies from the other parts of the temple, and there was only one man who could go in there once a year, the high priest. The curtain tears, and now everybody has direct access to God. The centurion, the man who most likely presided over the last 48 hours, which included Jesus' humiliation, mockery, torture, and death, turns and says, surely this was the Son of God. Right? No more no more business as usual. The group of people who was at the cross, Joseph of Arimathea, he was a member of the ruling council, religious elite, money, uppity, uppity, right? 
group of women, right? They shouldn't have been associating with Joseph. And a centurion, a Gentile, who shouldn't have been associating with Jews, should not have been associating with Jewish women. They're all at the cross, which is a picture of the movement that Jesus lived, died, and rose again to create. Gender equality, racial and ethnic equality, class equality, all those things brought together around the cross of Jesus. Right? And then things start to pick up speed. The women get to the tomb, and the stone is moved away. Right? It's a big stone that apparently Joseph was able to put in place by himself. But from the way I understand the way the tombs work, there was like some sort of slot deal that these big stones would be rolled into, which made them a lot harder to get out. But the stone was gone. No more business as usual. They walk in to the empty tomb, and there's an angel there. No more business as usual. Not only is there an angel there, but Jesus is not there. The tomb is empty. And the last piece from the gospel reading that's not business as usual is the women are commissioned by the angel to go tell everybody about the empty tomb. And at that time, in both Jewish culture and Roman culture, Roman culture, women were not considered reliable witnesses. But God says, uh-uh, no more. Go tell everybody that the tomb is empty. So the empty tomb is one of what scholars call minimal facts of the resurrection. There are 12 of them. And Bruce is just going to kind of scroll through them up here. But they speak of, um, these are, they're called minimal facts because even the most ardent critics of Christianity will assent to these facts. There are things like how Jesus was killed, the place of his burial, um, what the impact that his death had on spiritual and religious life. And maybe, um, maybe most importantly and most significantly when I look at these 12 facts that most everybody has a hard time arguing with is the impact that his resurrection, his empty tomb, had on individuals. We look at the disciples who were, the Bible calls them ordinary and unschooled. And the disciples went on to literally become world changers. They led a movement that still exists 2,000 years later. They drew thousands of people to Jesus. Thousands of people to Jesus. And then all but one of them ended up giving their lives for their belief in the empty tomb. That is some incredible, incredible change. And for me, one of the, the strongest, most compelling things that gives credence to the resurrection. And the resurrection is not the kind of thing that you can argue somebody into by presenting the right facts or enough facts or even the minimal facts. But when we have, we have this amazing mystery of somebody dying and rising again that draws us into something bigger than ourselves, and then we have these compelling minimal facts that come together, man, it is so appealing, so intriguing. It, it calls us 
to entertain the idea that it's possible, not only possible, but probable, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead and that he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And because he rose from the dead, he defeated the powers of sin and death so that for those who call on him, we're no longer subject to death. So wherever you're at today, I would, I would encourage you, I would invite you to allow yourself to engage the idea that the tomb really is empty and that Jesus, the Son of God, who came in perfect power and didn't exercise it in a business-as-usual kind of way, he didn't crush people with it, he used it to protect other people and for the advancement of other people and for the glory of God the Father, that you would allow yourself the opportunity to entertain the idea that Jesus lived and died and rose again for you and for me and for us so that we might live with him here and now like the resurrection is a real thing and in the life to come. I want to... Um, I want to close by reading you a quote from one of my favorite uh, theologian guys. His name is N.T. Wright. He says this, Made for spirituality, we wallow in introspection. Made for joy, we settle for pleasure. Made for justice, we clamor for vengeance. Made for relationship, we insist on our own way. Made for beauty, we are satisfied with sentiment. But new creation has already begun. The sun has begun to rise. Christians are called to leave behind in the tomb of Jesus Christ all that belongs to the brokenness and incompleteness of the present world. That quite simply is what it means to be Christian, to follow Jesus Christ into the new world, God's new world, which he has thrown open before us. That's the invitation, folks, to step in to that new world that God has created for us and made possible through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, we are so grateful that with you there is no more business as usual, no more everyday ruts, no more anchors to hold us back. We thank you for the, the invitation to step into a new life with you. Jesus, we ask that you would show us your resurrection power today. God, each person at some point that you would put it on their heart and mind today to say that prayer. Jesus, would you reveal your resurrection power to me today? And God, that our lives might be forever altered and that we might join you and leave behind that business as usual and live that new kind of life in you and through you and for you and with you. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you.